You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. You're listening to Stagecraft, Variety's theater podcast. Every week, we'll bring you in-depth interviews with the creators behind the hottest shows on Broadway, off-Broadway, in London, and around the country. I'm your host, Variety's theater editor, Gordon Cox. My guest this week is one of Broadway's legendary figures. Over a 60-plus year career as a producer and a director, he's won a record-shattering 21 Tony Awards, and the list of original productions he's had a hand in is truly staggering. Let me take a deep breath here. The Pajama Game, Damn Yankees, West Side Story, Fiddler on the Roof, Cabaret, Sweeney Todd, Company Follies, Merrily We Roll Along, Evita, The Phantom of the Opera, and I'm Still Not Done. He's Harold Prince, the man everybody in the theater industry knows as Hal, and he shows no sign of slowing down. He's got a production running on Broadway right now, that's Prince of Broadway, a review of his own work, playing at Manhattan Theater Club's Friedman Theater through October 29th, and a new book, just released in September, his memoir, Sense of Occasion. He's here on StageCraft to talk about the show, the book, and his storied career. Hal, thanks for being here. Happy to be here. Let's start with a question that is raised by uh, both both the show, Prince of Broadway, and the book, Sense of Occasion, which is, do producers have an oeuvre, and do directors have an oeuvre in the way that writers and uh, you know composers do, for well, instance? Uh, well, certainly it, it's more common with directors because we're working from very personal taste. However, what's lamentable mm. is it used to be true of producers. When I went to the theater for the first half of my career, I could sit in a theater and tell you who produced the play or the musical. Now you can't tell who produced anything because it's all about money. How mm -hmm. can you raise money? So everybody's busy worrying about how you can finance a show so they'll finance whatever they think will make money it's a different priority right uh t how would you tell for instance who were the who were the producers who you could identify oh, and how would you tell? mostly i could tell leland hayward i could mm. tell i can tell you the how in a minute yeah i could uh uh tell the theater guild i could tell obviously uh uh Fuhr and Martin and George Abbott and so on. But what you knew was was largely um, uh, a Herman Shumlin play that uh, perhaps he produced of Lillian Hellman's and directed. You knew that he did Lillian Hellman and and uh, serious uh, and and uh, uh, issue driven plays. 
Then you did Fear and Martin, and they did great musicals that were quality musicals and joyful. Uh, not issue-driven at all, but just terrific. And then uh, I think probably you would pin me down as issue-driven. Okay, I was just going to ask what you think unifies your... Oh, I think probably uh, mostly uh, issue-driven. I think Across I'm both ver- producing and directing. Oh, well, obviously when I was producing, I was wanting to direct the things I produced, but uh, the opportunity hadn't arrived. George Abbott hired me, and George Abbott I hired, in a manner of speaking, right. to direct uh, uh, Pajama Game and Damian. He's my partner, and I did. Right. And, uh, but that's a show... Lighthearted as it is, a pajama game is a show about a strike in a Middle Western pajama factory. That that was interesting. Now, mind you, it wasn't anywhere near as uh, dangerous as had it ended up in my hands. But I was the producer, and and uh, I was very happy to have uh, it realized. Did you? Were you aware, working on as early as Pajama Game, that you were leaning toward directing? Oh, I want—I didn't want to be a producer at all. Mm. Uh, I just—it's a gift horse, and I could not look it in the mouth. Right. Um, I ended up in George Abbott's office at the age of twenty, right. having graduated from Penn. And George uh, Abbott, who was one of the best-known producer names, absolutely, there, right? and director, and yep. playwright, and uh, originally an actor. Yep. Uh, leading man. Anyway, I um, I was there for uh, from forty eight to fifty. Uh, first as an office boy, then as an assistant stage manager, and then the Korean War started, and I I was the first person drafted in Manhattan. Um, in fact, I don't recall that being in your book that you were the first person drafted. in I Manhattan. think it is. Maybe I, uh, I think it is because I'll, I'll go back and look. Yeah, I'm not certain. That's, that's I, quite it's a, a fact. Sto- it's a story worth telling because yeah. uh, the Daily News ran my picture oh. and uh, under it, it said Korean threat. <laughs> obviously, I didn't even get to Korea. Not obviously. I didn't right. get to Korea. I got to Germany to, as part of the occupation. Troops. Yeah, I recall. So uh, uh, when I got back. I was put bumped up as first assistant stage manager, or what they called the stage manager, and then the production stage manager was over him. And uh, uh, I'd stand in the wings, and I'd think... The show was a huge hit called Wonderful Town with Rosalind Russell. And I thought and said to my partner, who was my boss at the theater, we can do this. All we have to do is come up with the capitalization. Let's do it. And he said, he was 30 years older than I, well, should we? I said, yeah, let's do it. So we did it. And we found this book, and we talked the agent into letting us have the book on the basis that George Abbott would direct it, which he did. And uh, it was a hit. Yeah, and that was the start of it, right? It was the start of a hell of a life. Yeah. Um, which you, which is detailed by both the show and the uh, and the book. I, I imagine you were you working on them at this. You were working on them at the same time. So I imagine. Uh, yeah, I think yes. I think that's so. Actually, I didn't intend to write the book. Mm. I intended for it to be written by a fellow named Foster Hirsch, who wrote a, originally wrote a book about me, and uh, 
And then I thought, no, I can't do this. I've got, it's got to be in my words. Right. And, uh, and so I said, Foster, all right? And he said, sure. I hoped you'd do that. So I did. Yeah. Let me ask you some questions that I know everybody asks you because I think they're going to want to, they're going to want to know your answers to these questions. Um, in the book, I noticed that uh, you talk a little bit about um, you don't love the mindless shows, as you sort of alluded to, but you quite, you really liked Bye Bye Birdie and you really love Guys That's and Dolls, true. That's right? Nothing is ever consistent. Right. right. Um, but in the end, you prefer something like King and I. Um, what, you must get asked this all the time, what newer musicals do you love now and why? Well, I... Uh... Uh, I I thought Hamilton was first rate, mm. and obviously, I might be predictable in that regard because somebody got the idea of doing a musical of a serious historical book, uh, and uh, about Alexander Hamilton. Very unlikely subject. I always thought unlikely subjects were the fodder of musicals. And to some extent, I was correct, because usually almost every season that I produced and directed, the show that everybody anticipates is never the show I do. Uh, It's the show that they anticipate because they know what it's going to be. And then they sit down on the theater... And it isn't the show they thought they made up in their minds, so they're disappointed. Uh, so you come in behind, uh, and it's kind of a, a round end. Is it always a detriment? Or is it always the challenge that you have to get over? Is it sometimes useful that you can surprise? Oh, that sure. you end up I, surprising? I, oh, no, I think it's always good to be surprising. Mm. I, I, uh, you know, uh, I, I, it's Diaghilev who said, astonish me. Oh, yes. And he was yeah, the greatest producer the who ever yeah, lived. Right. Uh, and uh, astonish me is what we should be doing in the theater. And too fre- frequently, we don't even aim for that. You mention also that uh, you don't go see revivals of your shows, or many of them, rather. Is that is that correct? Oh, no, I don't. I don't. Because um, Yeah, explain. Well, because I put, uh, if I do a good job, I've put a great deal of time into percolating the project, and um, it seems to me that when you do a revival, you don't have that time. You don't spend a few years percolating, and uh, maybe my vision contained, I like to think, a metaphor. I, I like metaphors. And, and uh, for example, you take Sweeney Todd, it's the easiest metaphor to talk about. It was written about a, a Grand Guignol subject of a man and a woman who chop people up cannibalism and, and sell them as meat pies. And I thought, what, what binds all the people in this show together? And I, I realized it took place pretty much at the inception of the industrial age. So let's put it in a factory and let's do it in the industrial age. And uh, when I proposed that to Sondheim and Hugh Wheeler, the author of the book, uh, they said, oh, do we have to rewrite this material? I said, you don't have to accommodate it at all. I'll just 
put it there, and everybody will get the point. Right, right. Yeah. That and metaphor you... is very often the spine of so many of the musicals I do. Of your productions of the of the musicals, does it how how important is it that the metaphor be baked into the text itself? Uh, sometimes, sometimes not. Yeah. Didn't matter in Sweeney. In Swe- and right, Sweeney that's, that's gets done all the time. It's very popular revival, and never has it ever taken place in a factory again. However, the show opened with a factory whistle, an excruciating sound in the theater. This is one of my favorite little uh, recollections in the book. I hadn't noticed this, but you're absolutely right about this. And I I tampered with the whistle and whistle during rehearsals, so it was painful Mm. to the audience. Well, it was there every time Sweeney killed anyone. But now it appears in every revival of Sweeney, and generally nobody's been killed. So it's just a big sound effect that people cotton to the the little revival downtown does yes does put it where it belongs with the murders that's true it does it, it is it is uh it's pretty you haven't seen that correct yes that, i have oh you have i yeah. went to see that one. oh yeah did you enjoy it i thought it was good yeah yeah did you see i have to ask you about the cabaret that ran for so long the roundabout no cabaret i never that, saw it wow you never saw it no yeah. because uh, and everybody liked it that I knew, yeah. but I knew that that no attention had been paid to the development of the Joel Gray character. Apparently, nobody cared; mm. didn't matter. Mm. It made a star of the man who played it. But to my mind, if you don't do the first act about a tragic, bad taste entertainer who represents Germany during the Depression, and then which no country suffered more. Uh, and then in the second act, he pulls himself together and by means of National Socialism, the Nazi Party, he prospers. And so he really, this meek, bad-taste little guy, turns into Adolf Hitler. Right. And that, that seemed to me vital to the whole metaphor of the show but no they didn't pay any attention to it and the show was a huge success and uh you mentioned in the book that you get asked a lot the difference between working with stephen sondheim and working with andrew Lloyd weber and what do you tell them well i really talk about the similarities yeah obviously there's nobody like steve uh he writes his own lyrics and there's nobody who to, to touch him in that regard uh there have been in the past, of course, uh, uh, but not really touch him. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Fred Ebb was a great lyricist. Uh, uh, Sheldon Harnick's a great lyricist. I've worked with a bunch of them. Yeah. But um, basically, Andrew, what's similar about them is they're both theater men. They love theater. They understand what makes something theatrical. On stage, it sounds a strange thing saying you're in the theater and you don't know what's theatrical, but a lot of people don't, and they do. And Andrew knows subjects that grab audiences. And you're still quite close with Sondheim. It sounds like that's oh, the sure. impression. Oh, sure. Oh, both yeah. of them. Both yeah. of them. I think there is an impression, or maybe a tendency, to assume that there was some sort of acrimony after "Merrily We Roll Along," and it doesn't seem to be. Well, I think the case. everybody has a 
everybody's minding your business. <laughs> and, and what you have to do as you grow older is disregard that. I, I would like to say I disregarded it as a young man, but I didn't. And it used to upset me. No, now it's nobody's business but ours. No, of course, we're friends. Good ones. What do you think of, what do you consider the biggest fights of your career? Fight? Fights, yeah. Gee, that's such a good question. I'm not prepared to answer yet. Let me see. Uh, well, to be absolutely honest with you, and we won't, we won't, I won't be specific, but there are shows I've embarked on and not stayed with, and that's because the atmosphere surrounding them doesn't emulate collaboration for me. I know there are an awful lot of authors who don't regard themselves as collaborating with directors, which is fine. A lot of directors do five, six shows a year. I do one if I'm lucky. And now, with finances the way they are, I do fewer than one. Uh, but I need to collaborate from day one, not only with the authors, but with the designer, because I need to know what a show is going to look like, because that's the motor, the way you're going to move the show. And those are all factors that are not unique to me, but probably not common to every director. Right. And what do you consider your biggest success? Well, uh, it's that whole thing about success, mm -hmm. failure, hit, flop. Yeah, actually, can you, uh, can you uh, tell us about that for those who haven't well, read the book yet? Well, my biggest hit yeah. is Phantom of the Opera. Well, it's uh, there, I, going to be 30 years old here in January, and it is 31 years old right now in England. I love the moment in the book from the part of the book that you wrote earlier where you say, I don't think anything will run as long as Fiddler on the Roof. And then, of course, you have to correct yourself in oh, the, yeah. in the and, addendum. And 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 by the way, uh, I would not say that any longer about Phantom. I, I would think uh, we'll be outstripped someday by uh, either uh, uh, the Disney show uh, or uh, um, Wicked, or maybe both. Who knows? Right. Shows are running so damn long and that i can explain yeah uh we did not have an international audience what we did was we do a play a musical or a play and if it seemed to be international fodder we would reproduce it in london and then occasionally in the german-speaking countries very rarely in scandinavia and very rarely in tokyo that was it uh now uh, not only do we work all all those uh, places, but travel being what it is, uh, the show is 30 years old now because it owes a great deal to foreign visitors. And the nature of these musicals is such that they are not dependent on the language on uh, so much as the look, the sound, uh, the atmosphere, and the story. Let's talk a little bit specifically about Prince of Broadway, the show at, uh, at NPC's Broadway Theater, The Freedmen, uh, that uh, is 
review of your work. Uh, you mentioned uh, in the book that one of the things that attracted you to it is the idea of going back and staging these numbers, not exactly as you staged them before, but Absolutely with not. new eyes. Can you give us, now that the show is up and running, can you give us uh, an example or two of sequences that you feel like you really looked at in a new way uh, putting that show together? Um. Uh- not so much. I think what really happened was Jerry Robbins did a review called, uh, I don't know, Robbins is Broadway or whatever. Yeah. What but was that called? Jerome Robbins Broadway. I think called. so. Yes. Yeah. And uh, I I knew Jerry very well and, and he was, he couldn't remember. Well, I can't remember how these things are staged. <laughs> I don't live much in the past and I don't remember. And, uh, so I saw that he'd bring in the original uh, artists who did the material, and they'd sit with him and reconstruct how they were staged. And I thought, gee, I don't want to do that. So though we use pretty much, we're influenced by the scenery and the costumes of the original productions. That's very important to me, because I could not rethink all the design elements. But then when we rehearsed the sequence... We just approached it like it was something new. Now, a lot of them look almost the same as what they were before, but then a lot, not at all. Very interestingly, Phantom, Mm -hmm. which is still running three blocks away uh, at the Majestic, I'll plug it. Yes, that uh, That is on a quite different set and and staged very differently. And... Let's talk also a little bit about the book specifically uh, sure. and uh, writing it. So explain for the people who don't know, there, you wrote a big chunk of this book uh, in 19, what did you say, in 1974? What I did was so, actually yeah. I wrote a book in 1974 called Contradictions. Yeah. It was motivated by an offer of the editor of Harper's Magazine who said, you're very young to have had all this activity. Um uh, how about telling how it happened and how you feel about it? So I said, fine. And then I didn't do it. And then I finally wrote him and said, I'm, I'm going to do it next year. I was years behind. And then finally, obviously, there wasn't interest in it. So I did it. And it was published. And it was called Contradictions for good reason, because a good deal of what I say in 1974, I don't believe... In 1975, much less 2017. Right. So um, I thought I'd, I'd like that book reprinted. It's about a third of the book, maybe. And I'd like to uh, revisit all those chapters up to 1974 and amplify, either add things that occur to me or disagree with myself. And that's what I did. Then when I got to 74, I had to start with the rest of my career, which is much longer. I was going to say, that's a lot of writing you had to 26 pick up 26 years and 17 years. How many is that? 36? 43. Yep. 43 yep. years more. Well, another thing you mentioned in the book is that you were um, easier to work with earlier in your career than you uh, became later. Is that... No. Did I really say that? It's absolutely untrue. Interesting. Yep. My my wife remember we're married a long time now. Mm. My wife remembers that that she would leave the room when I talked to my lawyer or anybody else because I was shouting 
and I was impossible. Mm. Now I'm, oh, I'm a pussycat for God's sake. Oh, okay. <laughs> now, when you're young, there's a, a desperation element in your creating a career, and your back is always to the wall, or you assume it is. And, uh, I mean, you know, I uh, when I did Pajama Game with my partner, Bobby Griffith, I... Uh, I decided that um, that it had to be a hit. It was my first foray, and that if I didn't have a hit, I'd be passed way back beyond square one. What's next for Prince of Broadway? Where does it go next? Well, um, there's a uh, we're, we're talking about a tour, of course. It'll it'll take some time. Uh, we are on a limited engagement. We've been extended yes. for a week, which is terrific. And so it'll have been about three m- months in one week, which is terrific. And the business has been wonderful. So now there'll be a tour in the United States, probably not for a year and a half, two years at least. And our producers, uh, part of our producing team is Japanese and quite marvelous. But also an or- they run an organization called uh, Broadway Across America. Yes which is tours in America, but they also have a heavy uh, input in Southeast Asia and Europe and Scandinavia. So they're working on Southeast Asia, Europe, and Scandinavia. So I think there'll be a lot of life in it. And I think uh, it seems to appeal to tourists, which is very good for us. And you talked toward the end of the book about some new projects you're working on. Um, let me let me ask you what, and let's see what you can tell me. Uh, well, you, I can't tell you much. Yeah, you but, mentioned, well, you're working with Doug Wright on something, right? Well, Doug Wright is writing a, a play with music and dance. And I'm told that I will get a script in December. And, it's about a year late, but I'm waiting. And He's it is very about, good. It is about historical characters, is that right? Yes. That you, or, can you give us any more details on that? Mm-mm. Okay. No, but it is about historical characters, and it's v- very exciting. Yeah. So I, um, I'm, I'm excited about it. And there's a, a sort of docu- a documentary film that was made that, again, I can't be specific, that, I, that I'd very much like to work on with two young composer lyricists and uh, a, a book writer. Who's a musical never done based a musical. on a, I'm sorry, a musical based on, on a documentary? A documentary, is that, right? that okay. was shown on television. All right. I'm sorry to be so secretive, but there's a good reason because there are a lot of people involved. Right, right. Uh, and you also mentioned uh, a return to the original production of Evita. Is that right? Tell me what's well, happening with Evita. That's in rehearsal. Yeah, that's, that's happening. wonderful. Yeah. I'm very happy about that because when the Evita came to Broadway a few years ago, I, I was disappointed, to be blunt. Did you see it? it? What? Did you see it? You saw I, that no, one? No, actually. Uh, I my assistant at Phantom took me over to the theater for the final matinee, and we stood in the wings, and I got to meet the three leads who could not have been more charming. And at one point, they're doing the rest of the the end of the show, and they're looking in the wings, and this guy is standing. That must have been hard, but they came off. Ricky Martin could not have been more charming, more terrific, yep. and he's a wildly talented guy, but. Um, it was not remotely what we had done 
all these years earlier, and I loved what we had done. So I, 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 it was a hard nut to crack. Mm. So, and I'm very proud of it. It's among the proudest uh, achievements, if that's the word. Yeah. Uh, so I really want it seen again, and a lot of people uh, remember it fondly. Yeah, and something with Alfred Urey, as you also mentioned. Something with Alfred Urey, yep. That's all you can tell us. That's all. I'm, yeah. I'm not, I don't like people who keep secrets. In fact, I'm the last person who ever kept a secret. Ah. I tell everything. But uh, we're talking on radio. It's Come true. On. It's true. Yeah. Um, do you ever retire when you're in the theater? Oh, people retire yeah. all the time. I think uh, directors, more than anything, retire from theater more than film because it, the wear and tear is terrible. And, and, you know, Gadge retired, Kazan. Yeah, uh, yeah. I was, I was going to say, please explain who Gadge is. A lot is of, no, people, Kazan, yeah. Kazan retired. Yeah. A lot of people retire. They just can't take the word. And uh, Kazan turned to writing. Right. Uh, right. Uh, and wrote very, a novel and an autobiography. Right. But um, I, uh, no, I, I, I have no desire to retire. And I have to tell you, uh, I'm surrounded by people who don't want me to. My wife, my daughter, my son, my office gang. Yeah. They, they want me to keep going. And I think it's probably a good idea because I'm uh, of a certain age. And uh, everything's happening up here still. And for as long as that happens, I, I should take advantage of it. I think that's a great place to uh, end our talk. Although uh, I feel like I should point out that actually... You said something very interesting before we turned on the microphones, and that was that you eat a jelly donut every single day for breakfast. Oh, that that's going to make it far. to the show. No, I love that. I love I that. I eat a jelly donut every um, single day. For from the breakfast. South Bronx. I'm not sure. This is our factoid, I'm a well, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I'm not sure that uh, that's the most nutritious breakfast. But Coffee, yogurt, that's good, yep. and... Uh, Juice. That sounds like the breakfast of But Kings. the jelly donut, it's a kid's thing. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's what's keeping me young. Yeah, that must be it. Well, thank you, Hal. It was a really pleasure. great to talk to you. Uh, we loved having you here. Thank you very much. Thank you. That was Harold Prince, the legendary Broadway producer and director, talking about his show, Prince of Broadway, and his new memoir, Sense of Occasion. That's all for this episode of Stagecraft, but be here next time when I'll be talking with Tony Shalhoub and Katrina Lenk, the stars of The Band's Visit, the buzzy off-Broadway musical that's making the move to Broadway. And I'll be speaking as well with two of the show's creators, songwriter David Yazbek and playwright Itamar Moses. Until then, thanks for joining me, and see you at the theater. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.
Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.